The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. And away we go, ladies and gentlemen, on a Wednesday here on Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. September the 15th, you may have noticed. I've stopped counting how many off-season shows we're into now because, damn it, we're so close to next year, it doesn't matter. We are under five weeks from the start of the NBA season. We are rapidly approaching the lava-hot time here in uh, fantasy NBA circles. It tends to happen about a month or so before the season, and that's four days from now, which... I think it's a weekend, so that doesn't help us very much, but whatever. Ballpark it. Ballpark it. We've been going through Yahoo's pre-ranks on this show. Uh, we had a really nice uh, prelude, I guess you could call it, on Monday's show explaining why Yahoo or really any large hosting website has a, a pre-rank board that's useless. It's useless from the the standpoint that you don't want to draft from it. It's useful from the standpoint that you know someone or someones in your league are. If you missed Monday's show, just very quickly here to get today's program started, I want to remind you guys why the Yahoo big board, their pre-ranks, are so idiotic. And it's through no fault of any analyst over at Yahoo. In fact, the analysts over there are probably doing a pretty good job putting together their projections on things. Problem is, the projections are then assigned a rank list based on nothing. Based on nothing. Here's the thing. Their pre-ranks, the projections, don't actually match up with the order that they give on their preseason rank board. So, like, uh, for instance, try to take Steph Curry is probably a good example, or Dame is probably a good example. Dame is listed at having 304 three-pointers, 2,245 points, 324 rebounds, 587. I'm just going off of Yahoo's board right now. 85 steal, 25 blocks, and 221 turnovers. Luka Doncic, on the other hand, is... Uh, by the way, those guys are at... Uh, Dame is at 46 free throw or field goal and 90 free throw. Luka, 47.5% from the field, 74% at the free throw line. Uh, Lower threes, lower scoring, more rebounds, slightly more assists, lower steals, lower blocks, and way more turnovers. The point I'm making is, based on Yahoo's projections alone, those numbers don't actually match up. Luka isn't ahead of Dame in projections. Fine. I mean, crap, we can go by Steph if you want. Add an extra 50 three-pointers to the list. Match Luka and field goal percent. Improve the free throw percent even more. More steals, more rebounds. The point I'm trying to make, and the point I tried to make on Monday that I'm hoping I can condense here in at the front end of this show before we dive into more actual player ranks on this Yahoo board, is the Yahoo projections don't match the list. If they went by their own projections, yeah, Jokic would still be number one, but Giannis would not be number two. 
He wouldn't. Kevin Durant's numbers on their own page are better. It's crazy. It's absolutely completely bat bleep insane that that's, that's the way this is, that has to come out. But they have to just put them in kind of a semi-arbitrary order because they have leagues of so many different shapes and sizes and they just put out one big list for all of them. I would say if Yahoo wants to get their whatever straight, they should at least put out lists that correspond to 8 and 9 cat at the very least. Here's your 9 cat pre-ranks, here's your 8 cat pre-ranks. At least do that. Please do that. Then you go through that board and suddenly you're actually working off a list that's not completely out of this off-the-wall bonkers insane because right now the projections don't match the order they've actually put the players in. I don't know that I specifically said that. I don't know that I explicitly said those words on Monday's show, but that's maybe the biggest takeaway from all this. Their own projections are not the order they put the players in, for nine cat roto formats it's like a weird amalgam oh yeah this is sort of it's almost like the hybrid version okay well you know we've got Giannis at one in points leagues we've got him at 12 and nine cat we've got him at six and eight cat or whatever they've got on their back end there so we'll just average it out it almost seems like they make their pre-rank list from early adps and and it's just like all right well let's just put them in this order because that's what people are doing anyway nuts Anywho, welcome to the show. Hope you guys are having a nice week so far. Middle of the week. Um, hope all of our listeners of the Jewish faith have a very nice Yom Kippur. That's tomorrow in the daytime. So you guys will probably hear from me uh, towards the end of that, I guess. I don't know. I haven't decided how I'm doing tomorrow's podcast yet. I, I am not a hyper-religious fellow, so there will be a show tomorrow. Uh, but I don't know exactly what time because kids are off. Wife is off. We'll be milling around and you know me my recording studio is in a dank corner of my already small apartment building the uh you can follow me on twitter at dan bespris i would certainly ask that you guys do so at d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s or just google search dan from hoopball i know we're starting to get into that time of year where people are beginning to listen to the show again it's it's slowly inching upward we have not and really we're not It'll be real obvious when the time comes, but we're not quite there yet where you get that massive everybody's paying attention now spike. We're not there yet. We're inching up on it, but we're not there yet. (laughs) It is, dude, it's crazy. It's crazy when when that moment occurs, and I love it. It's my favorite time of the year uh, because... I just, I, I, I feel like there's so much going, Twitter's going crazy. Anyway, we'll have some fun when we get to that point. For now, uh, please do continue to drop those five-star reviews on the show. Please subscribe. Please do follow on Twitter. Let's go ahead and dive into the actual meat and potatoes of today's episode. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what's going on at Hoopball in the middle of the program. We left off outside the, just outside the top 50 on yesterday's podcast. In fact, we finished the, the 50th player. That was John Collins. I spent some time breaking down why he was, I thought, a really good example of someone that, the, the type of player that tends to make the Dan Vespers old man squad doesn't even have to be all that old anymore. Just has to have a particular stat set that pushes them into that spot. But I want to start today's show by 
adding an addendum to what we talked about on John Collins at the end of yesterday's show, which is you can't exclusively draft players who are very good at the percentages, and that's why they get their bump up. You end up with a team that's lopsided. Actually, you could do it in a head-to-head league. I I know I'm more of a roto guy, but that strategy would work out better in a head-to-head league because suddenly your team's going to win percentages maybe every week because no one else in head-to-head focuses on those at all. Everybody's just like flipping a coin on percentages in in most head-to-head leagues unless you're punting something. And, you know, you'll probably win steals, blocks, you'll probably win turnovers because if you're an efficient team, but you also will probably lose a lot of the counting stats every week. The popcorn stuff, points, rebounds, assists, maybe even three-pointers. Although, uh, you got a pretty good you got a pretty good shot at three-pointers if you're going with efficiency guys. The Dan Bashers old man squad cannot be made up exclusively of high percentage guys who fall in drafts. It can be made up of them in large part, but the guys also have to be good at some other stuff. Chris Paul is a good percentages guy. He's also been, historically, quite good at assists and steals. Rudy Gobert has been that type of guy lately who's actually not that great at free throw percent but very good at blocks field goal percent very strong very good rebounder so you need to make sure that your old man squad guys are not all of the exact same ilk we talked about john collins on yesterday's show he now he falls a little bit into the tobias harris mold of high efficiency guy overlooked because the percentages are solid but isn't overwhelming you in any other statistical category. So you don't really need both of those guys on your fantasy team. So that's something we'll talk a little bit more about as we approach actual draft day and the strategy therein. Today, we'll pick up with Mikel Bridges at pick number, uh, sorry, not pick, gotta get my lingo right here, pre-rank for Yahoo of number 51. And this is nuts. Because he is that type of guy. Ultra high efficiency, super low turnover, great steals, good three-pointers, did a lot of stuff really well, is almost definitely going to overperform this number if he has any measure of durability on the year. He played in all 72 games last season, although, again, his team made the finals, so there's no telling if that's going to continue. Also saw a usage bump this last year, so hard to know if that type of thing could happen again in his favor. I don't see percentages getting any better for Bridges. And I do like him a lot. I, you know, I think he has that 10th category thing, which is quite critical and makes him a really nice grab in head to head leagues is even, even with the deep playoff run, I think he's going to continue to show a nice durability this coming season. The downside to a Mikel Bridges is that you're not going to get another per game jump the way we got this last year. Because everything he was doing is, I wouldn't call it maxed out, but pretty close to it without a usage elevation again. And given the fact that Chris Paul re-upped, and Devin Booker's not going anywhere, and DeAndre Aiden's probably going to have a bigger role going forward, it's just not that clear to me where these additional touches are going to come from for Bridges. I think this makes him a winning pick at 51, He likely outperforms that number. He was better than that on a per-game basis last year. But he also maybe doesn't match up if, say, in the previous round, you took John Collins. I don't know that you need to go Collins and Mikael Bridges back-to-back. Your team suddenly is now almost too good 
at percentages, but you're missing on opportunities. Your, your team is going to stink at scoring. You got to get some points in here somewhere. What if you took Gobert in an earlier round? Or even Chris Paul. These, are, these guys are not scoring at all. You're basically building a punt points team at that point. And that's okay. We fall into that in our leagues a lot. If you follow this podcast, we sort of end up bottom three in the league in points and top three in the league in almost everything else. And that's why in those moments, there have been times I've talked about on the show, hey, at this point, just cast off whatever dude on your team is actually scoring and lean into some other categories. If you're like fourth place in two or three categories and third from the bottom in points, Go give away the guy that scores on your team. Screw it. Drop to the bottom. You've now figured out your largest loss in one statistical category is two points in Roto. And you could make more than that. Three, four coming back in other categories, depending on what player you trade for. But that's a mid-season strategy discussion that we don't need to have on September the 15th. Suffice it to say, Mikel Bridges, a pretty clear draft day cakewalk type of guy this season but also one we need to be cognizant of the shortcomings which is he's not going to do stuff in the popcorn stats at all and there are guys that are still available here that could Kyle Lowry at 52 I actually think this is a relatively reasonable ranking for him Um, this may surprise some people Based on how much I've talked about how I like Cal Lowry in the past, he was number 54 last year, and I see his role with Miami being, frankly, not all that dissimilar from what he was doing in Toronto last year. He's getting older. Things are probably trending the wrong way. He won't play more than 70 games this year. I'd be blown away if he hits 72. So this is a guy that's going to need to beat his ADP on the per-game side to make up for the fact that, from a health perspective, he's probably not beating the league average marker there. So I actually like Kyle Lowry as you know, right around the 50 range. This, this is a pretty reasonable one that I think is going to surprise all you guys. He's not a tried and true old man squad guy. Sometimes you have to take dudes off that list. I thought he would have fallen farther, really. Ben Simmons is a pre-ranked number 53. I don't know how you can do anything with him. You know, this holdout discussion hanging over everything. If he gets traded somewhere, he should probably be I don't know, better than this, I would think, but... You know, unless we have clarity on where he's going to go before your draft, that's just a do not draft. Jaron Jackson Jr. at 54. I got a feeling he's going to be moving up the board. He feels like a guy that should be post-hype, but I think there are enough analysts that are right on top of their game to know that he's still really, really good. Jaron Jackson was top 60 last year in only 23 and a half minutes per game largely because he was coming off of a big injury. They probably don't run him into the ground. I would assume he misses a solid handful of games. In fact, Yahoo has him projected to miss 17 ball games this year. And yeah, that's probably a fairly reasonable for number for him. I, I have him more in the 15 missed ball games range, but 15, 17 are damn close to one another. Easier grab in a Roto Games Cap League at this juncture. Fifth round pick that could put up you know top 25 per game type of numbers if he's playing normal starters minutes, and then you just fill in the other one. So I love him here. I would even take him a little bit earlier. Let's get a feel for ADP before we grade out where we're doing, where we're taking Jaron Jackson Jr. And don't worry, we will talk to Jonas Nader on this show in the next two to three weeks. And then we'll know where the hell JJJ is going. Because Jonas and Roto World, they move the market. 
And I can, I'd bet my bottom dollar that our buddy is not moving him down the board at all. Robert Williams this is an interesting one. The Time Lord. Yahoo hasn't projected to play 69 ball games as a reserve, which I think is what he's going to be with Boston this year. I think he plays more than 69 games. I think his body holds up better in a 21, 22-minute reserve role as opposed to being tossed into the fire with the big dogs in the starting unit. He should be solid. He should have fallen more than this, though. I'm very upset that he's still as high as he is. Remember, Time Lord last year was top 70 in 19 minutes per ball game. Towards the end of the year, he was a top 30, top 40 type of guy in more like starters minutes. Al Horford coming in, I thought, would knock him off the pedestal. And, and we'll wait and get ADP numbers on him at some point soon. And you know maybe Boston comes out and announces that Horford is the starter and that moves his number down. And that's my hope because the time load really does still have top 60 potential, even better than that if his minutes trend up to the 22-23 range at any point this year. I don't know that they will, but this wipes out a lot of the value. I am annoyed by this. Jamal Murray at 56? Nope. Lonzo Ball at 57? Uh, he's a guy whose who's fantasy game should translate relatively well. He was number 48 per game last year, tends to be a bit dinged up. His numbers probably don't change much. Assists maybe come down a little bit with both DeMar and Zach Levine doing ball handling. But, you know, even in New, in New Orleans, and Vooch also. And New Orleans was really kind of like Zion and Ingram. And then Lonzo was in with that third group of guys all together. In Chicago, he's kind of the fourth guy. So it's possible assists come down a little bit. If the usage comes down a little bit, that would hurt him. The reason I don't trust Lonzo is not because he's now with a bunch of other high-profile players in Chicago. It's that I just, I you know, they've, Yahoo's got him playing 72 games this year, and I don't see how we can project that because he hasn't really gotten close to that for most of his still relatively young, but enough data to know. I mean, he missed uh, 30 games his first year, 25 games. Sorry, 35 games his second season in the NBA. Missed nine games last year. That was the big winner. And then 17 again this season. So I guess you could say, well, maybe he only misses nine again. Maybe he does. But that's happened once, and worse stuff than that has happened three times. The data tells me I should expect him to play game totals in the 60s this year. I see him on a per-game basis, probably getting pretty close to this top 60 range. And if he's under on the durability side, I have to keep him a little lower on my board. If he blows me away and plays 73-74 ballgames, then yeah, he probably beats his mark. I just don't know that I see that happening. Draymond Green, pre-rank at 58. Uh, I think this is actually a value spot for him. He was 56 over the season last year, but he was actually far better than that later in the year. He started slowly with the Warriors trying to shoehorn James Wiseman into the starting unit, and that was a disaster. By later in the season, they were like, okay, Wiseman, you play a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Dre, you're going to mostly play center. And then he was top 25. Dre was number 21, actually, last 40 games last season. And as the Warriors get better this year, when Clay comes back, all of that stuff just helps him. So I love Draymond Green in this range. Uh, I would consider taking him earlier. He's going to be a guy where we have to grade out how much profit we're willing to surrender to make sure that we do get even a smaller win. Tyrese Halliburton at number 59. That's fair. I'm okay with that. I see no massive issues on either side of this one. 
Uh, it's going to come down to durability probably with him. He's an efficiency guy, but has some hype. So that sort of balances each other out, I suppose. Marcus Smart at number 60. This is probably, unfortunately, a little too early for Marcus. Uh, I love Marcus Smart. I had him in this range last year, and he showed me that his fantasy game wasn't ready for this range. He was number 96 on a per-game basis. Forget the fact that he plays so damn hard, he plays himself into an injury every year. I call that Pat Beverlitis. He played 33 minutes a game. He took 11 shots. What do we see in Marcus's numbers that make us think he can rapidly ascend the board? Could his free throw percent go from 80 to 83? That would help a little. Field goal percent's always going to be low. Steals were already pretty high. I guess they could go a little bit higher. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are still going to be the primaries on that team. Dennis Schroeder slots into that Kemba role, if a tiny bit smaller. So yeah, Marcus Smart, maybe he does do a little bit more this coming year. But is it enough to jump him from 90 to 55-ish? When you consider that he's, like some of these other guys we talked about, probably not getting to league average in games played. Or if he gets there, he'll barely get there. So it's a little bit too early for me on Smart. I thought he would go lower. Boston in general, I thought those guys would go lower. And maybe they do. I got to wait and get the get to the ADP stuff. Pre-rank-wise, this is too soon for me. DeJounte Murray at 61. Uh, I like this one, actually. I think people are going to overdraft Murray. I like DeJounte, but he was number 78 last year. Uh, sorry, wait a minute. I'm getting some of these numbers wrong. Where was Marcus Smart? I was off by... He was 92. Sorry. 92, not 96. DeJounte was 67, not in the 70s. Murray's role should get bigger. Took 14.5 shots per ball game last year, which is already relatively high, but that probably gets into the 15s, maybe as high as 16 this year. Has issues in his fantasy game. Doesn't block shots, which is weird for kind of a super long guard. Doesn't hit free throws at that great of a clip. Field goal percent is lower than we all have in our brains because he doesn't shoot the three-pointer. So I like DeJounte Murray for what he is, which is a points, rebounds, assists, steals kind of specialist from that point guard spot. But in terms of the guards in San Antonio, he's the one you probably have to spend a little bit more, even though Derek White is actually right behind him in the Yahoo pre-rank board. I think White's the guy with the bigger upside between those two just because of stat set alone. Curious where these guys actually do end up going when the ADP numbers settle in a little bit. Jeremy Grant at 63 is a little bit too soon for me. He had that big breakout first half last year and then ran out of gas. Detroit's going to be doing other things. He's not the only offensive player on that team this year. So, uh, no, it's a little, little too soon for my taste. OG Ananobi at 64. This one is what we like to call, in golf, a tap-in. This one's too easy. If Ananobi has any health at all, he smokes this number. And yes... He falls into that efficiency profile we were talking about. But there was other stuff that happened with him last year that even for someone that played as well as like a Mikael Bridges, OG still has the room to grow that with Bridges, there just needs to be more usage. Here's what I'm talking about. Ananobi took 12 shots a game last year. Bridges took 9.3. Toronto cleared out Kyle... Lowry, so there's actually a very obvious opportunity to get another shot for Ananobi, who already took a usage jump. Also, OG, uh, I'm going to compare him mostly to Mikhail Bridges here, so I think these guys are going to get lumped together as sort of a style of player, and they're not that dissimilar from one another, but Ananobi, better at steals, 
this last season. You could probably see that level off a bit. Uh, both solid on the defensive side. Let's just leave it at that. They were around 2 to 2.2 combined. But Ananobi, 16 points to Bridges, 13 and a half. Ananobi, 5 and a half rebounds to Bridges, 4.3. Both of them around two assists per ball game. Quite close there. Bridges, the field goal percent advantage, but 54%. You can actually see Bridges, that number could come down. And then with Ananobi, at 78% at the foul line. That's a number that could actually come up. You could see OG inside the top 30 on a per-game basis this year. So, you know, do the gray gray window with a blue bar game again in your head on this one and say, what's the worst case for OG, which is like missing 20-some-odd games for injury like this last season? Okay, fine. If he misses 20-some-odd games, he probably ends up near the back edge of the top 100. It's hard to win. But, like, again, now we're talking about someone who's being drafted in the sixth round. So who cares? The upside is he stays healthy at a top 30 clip. That's a second rounder because of the health. He could even be a first rounder if he played in 80 ball games this year. Look at Mikael Bridges. That's all I have to say. Bridges, number 11 last season. OG could be that. He was better than Bridges on a per-game basis. Now, again, Mikael has the durability leg up in that head-to-head competition but just as a point of reference if you think your guy can be a third rounder if they are a very durable third rounder you could be a first rounder by totals so this is another guy where we're gonna have to put him down on the list and say look how how early are we willing to make a, a leap like this a leap of faith do we really think he's gonna go at the beginning of the sixth round i don't Terry Rozier is in here as well. Uh, he's actually a real safe play at this point. I mean, his numbers, maybe they come down a little bit this year because everything for him was kind of career-high mega Terry. But I think he'll be solid at the very least. So quite a safe play. Opportunity to get some scoring and threes in the sixth round after some of that has dried up a little bit. Mitchell Robinson at 66. I thought he'd fall more than this. And we'd be able to scoop him up in like the 70-80 range. And maybe we still can. Uh, but this is not at all the value that I was hoping for with Mitch. This is, a, this is a devastating kick to my groin. Mitchell Robinson, uh, last season, where the hell did he end up at the end of last year? I got to go to the per-game numbers again instead of totals. He was number 79 uh, with an extraordinarily low block rate for whatever reason last year. That's a number that should probably trend back up a little bit. So I thought, all right, this is a guy who could easily nuzzle himself back into that 50 to 60 range. Surely he'll be getting drafted two rounds back of that, and uh, nope, just one round. So uh, a snippet of value, but not nearly as much as we were hoping for. Especially if these Yahoo pre-ranks pull the ADPs closer to that number. We also have to wait and find out how healthy is to start the season. That could be an issue that would put him on our do not draft list as well. Anthony Edwards at 67, I believe without looking his ADP is probably earlier than this. So I'm going to reserve judgment until I know where he's actually getting drafted. Cause I don't believe this for a second. That dude ain't going in the sixth round. Not a chance. Not as well as he played at the end of last year. This is nuts. He's going to be, I, I like I would bet. And I'm, I'm going to pull up the uh, ADPs, the early ADPs right now. I would bet almost everything I own that he's going earlier than 60-something. Ah, not by much. 59. I won the bet, but barely. Call it a push. 
That number's going up. Once the public gets a hold of Anthony Edwards, that number's going to be in the 40s. Write it down. He's going late fourth, early fifth. At that point, it's too soon for me. But if, you're, I mean, if he's really falling close to 70, then screw it. Have at it. Here's another one you should have at. C.J. McCollum. What the is he doing at 68? I know he was hurt last year, but that was really the one-off. Dude is consistently playing about 90% of his team games every year. Is there a fear he gets traded? Maybe. But he can just walk into top 60 per game numbers. And he can power walk into like top 45 range per game numbers. And if he has a good season, we saw last year, he was like just outside the first round for a while before uh, breaking his foot. I, I don't know what everybody's so worried about with McCollum. He is incredibly safe at this number and he's another guy who i'm i'm betting without looking is going earlier than that that's that's madness absolutely positively insane gordon hayward at 69 there is i think rightfully so a fear with hayward because something breaks every year he is as brittle as they come something snaps that costs him 15 games so then you need him to be 100 percent healthy the rest of the year which just isn't happening these days he's going to destroy top 70 on a per game basis he does every year he was number 45 last season but his rank basically matched his games played total he played in 44 out of 72 ball games still still if his adp really is mid late sixth round which I suppose is a real possibility. Actually, his ADP might even be later than that because everybody was so annoyed with him. Like, if you're getting Gordon Hayward at the end of the sixth, beginning of the seventh, just call it a win. Even if he doesn't hit his totals mark, you fill in that stuff around the edges. He's, his, his fantasy game is just so perfectly translatable. I don't need him to score 20 points a game this year. Just be ridiculously efficient with the team that Charlotte's building around him. He'll get his rebounds because they're small. He'll get his assists because they're going to move the basketball. He's super efficient. His field goal percent could even be higher than that this next year. There's there's still no reason why Gordon Hayward shouldn't be inside the top 60 on a per-game basis. So the reason he's outside is, again, too efficient at times, but does do some of the popcorn-y things that doesn't usually accompany the efficient guy. So that's kind of cool. Karis LeVert at 70, he probably goes below that on a per-game basis with Indiana healthy, but how long does Malcolm Brogdon stay healthy? How long does Miles Turner? I guess that's not as important. Um, I think LeVert probably settles more into that 16-ish shots per game range, which puts him most likely pretty close to this number. 70 to 80 range is probably pretty fair. Maybe a little bit behind that when they're fully healthy, but then certainly in front of that when they're not, and that'll balance out. DeMar Rosen at 71 is a very, very safe play at the end of the sixth round. Uh, I like that one a lot. I know he's going to take a hit this year, but I think we talked about it on the show, the hit is to this range. He was 43 per game last year. He probably drops by around round and a half. That puts him in the uh, mid-60s. I think he'll show some pretty good durability on a team that's fighting, pushing, for the playoffs and for contention. So he is also a very safe play at this range. Curious where he's going to get drafted. I bet it's I bet it's earlier. There's a lot of name power there. Yusuf Nurkic at 72. Yeah, give me all the Nurk at 72. That one sounds like a uh, totally made-up number also. 
Is he really going to go this late? I don't buy it, but we'll see. I mean, that has new Clint Capella year written all over it. Get him out there for 27, 28 minutes of ballgame, and he just obliterates this number. This may be another guy where we have to be like, look, maybe we just take him, like, beginning of the sixth, middle of the fifth. There are some obvious ones that you don't want to leave on the board. Spencer Dinwiddie at 73. Well, there goes all the value with that one. He better fix his free throw percent. That's got to be a big-time positive with as often as he gets to the line. He's going to have plenty of stuff to do. Points leagues, yeah, have at it. I mean, really go nuts there. Darius Garland at 74. That's way too early for him in my book. I think he'll have a, a decent season as the Cavs move to letting him do more. But he's been dinged up. Uh, and again, kind of looking at what he did last season, I don't see the massive areas of obvious improvement year over year. He's up to 15 shots a game last year. Does that keep going up? Yeah, possibly. Doesn't rebound. Assists went up to six. Does that go any higher with Colin Sexton still around? Meh. Steals at 1.2. That kind of maxed out too. I, I don't I don't see the big Darius Garland jump that uh, a lot of analysts are, are telling me is about to happen. And I keep looking at it like, what am I missing here? And it's got to just be that they believe he's going to get 17 or 18 shots a game. And I still think he's only going to get up to like 16 shots per game, which I know it doesn't sound like much, but it's a pretty big deal. If his usage does go up by 20%, that's a huge deal because that's shots, that's free throws, that's three-pointers, that's assists. Probably turnovers too, but that's okay. We can stomach that because, you know, usage is value. But damn, I don't like I don't I don't see the 20% jump happening this year. And I'm also not certain he's that durable. I'm not seeing it. And Mike Conley at 75, who was also a pretty good roto grab at this point. I don't think you can touch him in head to head. Conley was 57 last year, but he missed 21 ball games, and they're probably like he was still hurt come playoff time so I don't know what Utah is really planning on doing with him presumably his numbers don't change that much year over year so call him top 60 with no durability and this is a pretty good spot to take a guy like that where you get the per game win and you know you're going to fill in some games around him the problem is as as we pause here because Conley is number 75 the problem is that again you have to assess what you've built on your fantasy team to this point. Before we talk about that, because that'll be the big final topic on today's show, I want to remind all of you guys, if you'd like to be a part of the HoopBall team, please do hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I also want to let you guys know, the Brewski 150 drops in the HoopBall 360 in two weeks. Two weeks from today, B150 comes out. The draft guide is out already. That's in the Fantasy Pass for just $5.99. Hoopball 360's got all of our stuff, and the earliest Brewski 150 release ever. Aaron has never put it out the month before the season started. It's always come out in October or last year, December. And this is the first time ever a version is being released in September. So if you want that, that's the Hoopball 360 plan. If you don't mind waiting another couple of days, uh, five days later it comes out in the uh, old school bundle. And then five days after that, it gets dropped into the Fantasy Pass. Five days after that, it goes into the Draft Guide. But you know, I don't think you guys want to wait that long. Fantasy Pass is $5.99 a month. It's awesome. 
Uh, Hoopball 360 is $19.99 a month. I hope you guys got in on that earlier this month when it was, or sorry, uh, August last month when it was just $12.99 a month. That was just a wild deal. It'll never go back down that low again. So hopefully you guys got in on that and can lock it in with the loyalty program. If you didn't, again, two weeks from today, Brewski 150 drops in the Hoopball 360 package. Go to hoop-ball.com and check that out right now. Here's why I want to talk about some of this stuff, because it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of what all of these players mean. It's what drives audience to these types of podcasts. But what I think best guarantees our victory is understanding the type of team you've built to a certain point. And we've detailed the different types of guys that you can get along the way. I will pretty much always beg you dudes and dudes and dudettes or whatever the hell we want to do with it to early in the in the draft first round second round third round you want to take guys that are durable to a very slight exception you know freddie van fleet type exception of a guy who's going so late that even if he's not durable he still clobbers his ADP. But those guys don't really pop up. Like Van Vliet, we talked about the fact that his pre-rank is 29 on Yahoo right now. There really just aren't guys ahead of him that are super injury prone and far enough down the board where you can overlook the injury stuff. The other guys that are, it's like say the top 25, the injury prone guys inside the top 25 are uh, Kevin Durant, who's, that's not really fair to say injury-prone, but coming off uh, an Olympics and then the giant injury and and rest days and all that stuff. Joel Embiid, who's just never played most of a season in his NBA career. You could argue maybe Anthony Davis, although there have been plenty of seasons in there where when he's truly trying, they let him play through stuff. Uh, Kyrie Irving misses ball games sometimes injury-related. Kawhi Leonard in seasons past, but he's not playing this year. And, you know, that's about it. And I think some of those are even stretches because if you really wanted to pare it down, it's basically Joel Embiid. He's the early guy who has massive per-game upside, but is almost definitely going to miss another 20 ball games this year. That's just how it goes. And Freddie Van Fleet is kind of that guy at 30. Difference there, of course, is that Embiid has a pre-rank of 8. So... Like, there's no room, really, for him to be better. There's only seven slots in front of that. So early on, again, I you know, there are guys that are mildly injury-prone, like a Jimmy Butler, but missing one or two games more than the league average is a very different thing than missing ten games more than the league average. That's a gap that I think we can all safely say is a pretty thick white line in between the two. There's a thick line there. Kyrie maybe goes in with Joel Embiid, but even he, to me, is more trustworthy, and that's probably dumb. Let's just put him in the same bucket and call it a day. But at least Kyrie, again, pre-rank of 19, top five per game last year. So there's this, there's this room, at least, to make that decision. Most of these guys, you're looking for durability. Jason Tatum, durable. Dame, durable. Jokic, durable. Beal, generally durable. Adebayo, durable. Vooch, you get it. You get it. The reason I like 
hyper durable in those first few rounds. Number one, those guys tend to beat their ADP because they're playing in a lot of ball games, and a lot of these first-round guys get hurt just based on simple law of averages alone. The other reason I like it is it opens you up for opportunities in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds to take shots on guys who might not play the entire season. To take a chance on, like, we start around pre-rank 40 on this board. To take a shot on someone who might miss some ball games. Rashawn Holmes has been a little bit dinged up from time to time. Kristaps Porzingis has been obviously very hurt from time to time. Jaron Jackson Jr. coming off of injury. Derek White, injury-prone. Ananobi, injury-level type of year. Hayward, McCollum, Nurk, Conley, who we just talked about. And I I, I intentionally try to get louder as I get towards the end of that list because if you've taken safe players in your first, say, four picks, then by round five... You can really you can take some swings. And you don't have to, but you know, let's let's say you're towards the end of round 5. You were you were towards the end of the first round and you've been very safe to this point. You can reach a little bit. You could take an Ananobi at pick 57 or something like that and hope that the per game stuff works out even if he ends up a little bit dinged up. 6th in the 6th round, let's say even early 6th round pick. You could take Nurk if you you know, if if you've been so safe, you don't want to go the McCollum route or the or whatever other players I've been listing in here. You could take Conley in the seventh round or even late sixth, knowing he's not going to play all those ball games. But look, hey, I want to take my guy that that maybe gives me some per game upside. He's probably not the best example of that because his role is not getting bigger in Utah. Nurk is a fantastic example of that. Nobody trusts him to make it through the year, and maybe they shouldn't. He hasn't been particularly healthy in a starter's role to this point. But screw it. If you got five, four, five safe players on your team, absolutely take a shot with the next one. What if he goes top 25 per game and plays 60 out of 82 ballgames? That's a win at that juncture, as for some reason the guys on the building behind me decide that they need to run a sander over an entire wall. What are they doing out there, man? Don't they know i got to finish up this show? which I am going to do right now because I can't listen to that, and I don't think you guys want to either. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Have a great Wednesday. Tomorrow we'll finish up the Yahoo Top 100, and then we'll probably start pivoting into ADPs coming up after that. We've got an expert mock that'll start on uh, Friday. Probably have some updates on that on Twitter as well. So again, you can follow me over there at Dan Bespris. Go get yourself a subscription at Hoop Ball. Hit me up if you want to join the team. Rate and review the pod. You guys know the drill at this point. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.